0: holidays it's uh james and joe you are listening to the tx water polo podcast um joe we spent some quality time together on sunday how are you doing though
1: good and we didn't really get to talk so well you're not the supposed best to i'm right well the best
0: quality time. it's the we do our best work uh without actually speaking to one another um and not to mention that very small i you know thing which is you know you're busy like you're running a tournament so it's not as though we can like sit down and and uh, have a cup of coffee or something like that but your game day went very well was treated our our, uh, our team very well so it was, it was a good time
1: I'm good. I'm good. We'll talk about that a, a little bit later. A little
0: yeah. bit. Right. Let's uh, let's cover the big stories as far as I'm concerned, or NCA NCAA championships took place over the weekend. I was bugging my athletes endlessly to make sure that they watched some of it. I watched it. Uh, not live. I watched the stream of the of the final game. And it turns out for NCAA championships that uh, coach Mark Lawrence was correct. Cal won it. I thought. I, I was watching a bit of the semis with Cal versus UCLA, and I thought, yeah, UCLA is going to win, just like I said. And nope, I was wrong. Cal, Cal came back and won that, and two with two goals uh, overtime. And then they beat USC on uh, Sunday for, gosh, I think it's their sixteenth title or something like that. So, uh, anyway, that was uh, result number one. At the same time. Pomona-Pitzer won the D- Division Three championships. Same score, by the way, 13-12 over Claremont-Mudd-Scripps. I don't think that was a huge surprise, although that game's pretty close. Um, again, both of those games are available to to watch on NCAA. No, uh, one on NCA.com, one at the Pomona-Pitzer, Sagehens, Net, TV, whatever it is. And then very quick mention that Johns Hopkins plays third. They beat MIT, and I will be talking with Austin Ringheim, the head coach at MIT and Trader from Austin College uh, A couple years ago but I, I will Talk to him later either today or tomorrow And we'll have that at the end of this uh, of this Podcast
1: Yeah congrats to all the teams and coaches and such And for a great little fall season for All the men's teams that played out there for, At the NCAA and club level So but uh, as you mentioned we did Have a game day and um, You know I got a ton of emails on, on, on Sunday This past weekend about a specific Subject that we're going to talk about now yeah. Um, and it's about UIL, UIL fall 22. We all know that this is happening. Um, the big question is how is my team going to be playing? Um, is my team it playing? Is
0: my team, right? Exactly. And,
1: um, and it's one of those things where I don't know every single team that is playing or not playing right now. Um, and nobody knows. I was um, say that. So yeah. the way that it works is this. Each year, the UIL will send out um, some paperwork. I think it might be on- online now, but and the school districts they need to complete the paperwork as far as these are the UIL activities/slash sports that we are going to participate in for the following school year. Each year, and that normally is due in January, and then the UIL takes those like like numbers and then they split them up and then they split each sport into districts. Regions, they yeah they set the championship schedule and locations and yeah and such. Then that is announced to everybody in February, and then coaches in the various sports will then go do all their scheduling for the following school year. Um, because now they can know who's in their districts and such, um, and that's that's kind of the basics that's going to happen for water polo for next fall. Schools right now are deciding, or have already decided, whether or not they're playing water polo or not. And um, they have completed the paperwork. They have turned it in, and some will still kind of turn in. But we will find out in February who actually is going to be playing, and the districts are going to be set. And then it's going to move, and then it's going to move forward from there as far as uh, as far as, uh, um, as as far as this, like like the coaches are going to set their schedules and the season will start on August one. They can start doing scrimmages on August five, and then they can start doing games on August eighth. And there are some restrictions on the number of games and tournaments that teams can do. And then the playoffs will start in early October. That's basically the gist of what's, uh, of what's coming. So for parents out there that are concerned about is my school playing just et cetera. What I suggest you do is go talk to your swim coach a lot of school districts are talking kind of, kind, of, kind of with their the like like their swim coaches um and they're and they're making decisions as a group and if your swim coach doesn't have the answers then go talk to your school athletic director if your school ath at, like, athletic director doesn't have answers go talk to your school district athletic director and then and then the next step would be this the like the superintendent's office because the superintendent's office is the one that turns in that paperwork to the UIL. And then, if for whatever reason you still don't get the answers that you want, then then you can go to the school board. But that's like the chain of command. But start at the swim coach level. So.
0: I'm getting the same questions. They're bit, well, slightly different. I mean, it's really more like, hey, I. It's it's less. You know, how does the process work? And sort of the, the the sort of the abstract. It's more. I've got kids who want to play. This sport is new. We know that we can play the Tiska club season. That's relatively easy it's just how in the world do I convince or ha- somehow steer my particular to particular school to playing the sport and that answers the question which is you know start with the swim coach I, you and I have uh, slightly different opinions about that but that's fine um, but yeah if they've set up imple- uh, impediments to it then you go straight to the athletic director. And the real question, in in some ways, is this has already happened in some places like you and I were just talking about. The Round Rock ISD, which is where my club is located, announced um, on their website yesterday that they're going to have water polo. Now, this was not a surprise at all, but it's official. And so the question is, how did that decision go from the families and or the coaches and or the local athletic directors up to the superintendent so that he or she does submit Um, that they are going to be participating in the UIL sport and I I, I think I know I have parents you've just answered the questions for them largely but they're the ones who are very very curious about how does this happen and also it's also because they are at least a couple of them have been facing some resistance that you know there are interests that aren't Don't really want to have water polo, and so what do you do then? And so, yeah, going to the athletic director, going to the superintendent are are they're not last ditch efforts, but they are not preferable, I guess.
1: Yeah, and I mean, people have to remember out there those that the parents that are going to be going and talking to people that this was the first true sport added to the UIL since wrestling in the late nineties. Most everybody that works in the athletic director or the athletic departments weren't adding like they weren't around or they weren't involved in the adding of sports kind of way back then. It's the first true team sport since since softball in the in the early nineties. So this is new to everybody. And you know we are coming out of COVID and stuff like that, right? So um or we're still in COVID, depending on kind of on kind of who you talk to. So there is some resistance to adding a sport right now. There is. Um, what you just got to remind all of the um like the swim coach the athletic director the like the superintendent especially if you already have a pool or you already have a contract with a pool to use like for example like uh, waco midway they use the like the waco family ymca as their pool mm-hmm. if you already have like a regular kind of usage adding a water pole is very 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 low cost it might be a little bit of a Cost at the beginning to make sure that you have the goals, the game caps. You know you have to. Then you have to start factoring in. You know travel with school buses, at, at, like et cetera. The initial first year cost they may be a little high, but the year over year costs are low. And it's a UIL sport. Now, I mean, is it is a fall sport? And yeah, and many people ask why is it a fall sport? Well, it's a it is a fall sport because that's what the UIL chooses. There's a ton of UIL championships in the spring. For only three, maybe four UIL championships in the fall. So that's why this, that, yeah, that's the primary reason why they chose to put it in the fall. And yeah, there's a slight overlap with swimming. And I know that concerns a few swim coaches out there. All that is is scheduling. All that is is scheduling. And it's not like it's an overlap of two, three, four months. It's an overlap of three, four weeks. That's it. Yeah so and um yeah i mean but it's a but i kind of counter it as water polo is a tremendous pre-season for swimming tremendous pre-season for swimming for those that are in like that yeah that yeah that, that that have a really good swim program um it's one of those things where you get to start earlier you also don't have to do the dry land or ultimate frisbee? You can be playing water polo and working on your speed, your power, your quickness, and that is truly great. And then you go right into the swim season, and the kids are going to be ready to go. Oh, but they're Joe, gonna, it messes up your swim stroke.
0: Joe, come on, yeah,
1: I know. water polo and, uh, just ruins you. You can't possibly adapt. Okay, but it's just, but it's just one of those things where this is new to a lot of people, and we have some school districts that may not start in twenty two. They may start in twenty three or twenty four. Um, but, you know, it's uh, like the like the softball numbers back in the 90s. I think they had 150 schools play the first year for softball, right? Wow, that's pretty good. And now they have about 350, 400 schools that are playing statewide. So our goal is to have X amount of teams play in fall of 22 and then have X plus 20, 25% play in fall of 23. And then the following year, plus 20, 25 percent, then plus 20, 25 percent and just keep growing each and every year. Because I know as soon as schools see that it's uh, that it's going to be it's going to be run well. There's a ton of programs playing. Why is this school district playing and ours not playing? It's going to it's going to it's going to keep growing. And um, just if you have some questions, you can always kind of reach out to get yeah, a me. Or James or and yeah, and my email is Joelinhan at USAwaterpole.org. I'll be happy to answer any and all any and all questions as far as this is concerned, as far as parents out there. Hey Joe.
0: As uh, and let's so just taking the Round Rock ISD as an example, right? So there, the ISD announced that it was going to start water polo, but only three of the schools. And I, I don't mean only in a pejorative sense. That's totally fine that three teams. Um, what I'm curious about is if let's just say that there's a, a, a an ISD that has one particular high school, let's just say, that's very interested in playing water polo, in fact, you know, drives the process. Do you think that's going to help convince its you know fellow district high schools to join them? Do you think that's an incentive for the other swim coaches or other athletic programs?
1: I think it's yeah. And, and yes, I do. I, I think you have one school. That has so so. Let's say there's a school district. There's a school district I like kind of out there. There's yeah. There's five high schools in the school district of which three are playing. Uh, fall twenty two. Two are not. And the way that this let that this that the school district decided that they 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 let the swim coaches decide. Hmm. Do you want to play or not? Um. And to me, I'm like, oh, that's 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 a very slippery slope. So, the coaches that decided not to play. They haven't really historically played water polo. The right. other three schools have, and the, the like the schools that decided not to play, you know, I think they're going to get some pushback from parents. Why is X school playing and we're not? Right. You Especially know, if they're club members, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. If there's club, if there's club members, the, or there's kids coming up, um, and then why do we have all these aquatic facilities but we don't have water polo? Yeah. You know, we're, we are, we're not adding all the UAL sports. This is a school district pool. This is just, what's going on here. And I think be honest, with you, I mean, those like those swim coaches in the in the short term, the easy answer the easy answer always is no, right? Always. Easy. Very easy. Okay? Yes. Change, bad, all that stuff. But like, so knows the easy answer, but I think those swim coaches are gonna be setting themselves up for um a, a little a lot of pushback that they're gonna I mean, they're going to be asked to play eventually. Yeah. And then if the parents don't hear what they want to hear from the coach, then they're going to go to the athletic director. When in my mind, I'm like, just have all schools play. And then you don't have to, to worry about the pushback from the parents. Right. So, I and think, um, yeah. I, I think over time, yes, fall 22, I think the one yeah like the like the one school that's playing within the school district it might affect uh, uh, like you know kind of maybe one or two uh, 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 other schools in that school district, but it's going to affect all the schools in the long run. Yes, I do.
0: You swam at A and M, right? I did. Yeah, and I swam at UC San Diego. So this whole thing, like, I, I only wanted to make mention of that because there if there's there's one level of resistance among certain swim coaches because they don't want to involve themselves in water polo because they don't know the sport. And that's fair enough. They, you know, that's not, it's, it's something that you and I've been doing for a long time, but obviously others haven't. And I suppose my only message to that would be that your local clubs are going to help you enormously, enormously. First of all, they're going to coach up your kids. But secondly, I can't wait to talk to local coaches, local high school coaches who may feel like they're they they need to learn a lot more. Cannot wait. No cost. It's free. You just want to share that information. So if you have any hesitancy about that, by all means, let's uh, at least consider the fact that you have coaches locally who are very, very willing to teach.
1: Yeah. And that's and there's a ton of and there's a ton of educational materials kind of out there. And we're going to get into during the during the second segment. The different ways that schools are implementing water polo.
0: Let's do that now, Joe. This was, we're 15 minutes into the segment. That's perfect. It's time for us to take a break.
1: Right about now, you might be expecting some song and dance about a product you don't need. Well, shush, we don't advertise here, and we want to keep it that way. So we sure would appreciate your help. Show your support by going to txwaterpolo.com forward slash donate so we can keep covering the sport we love in the great state of Texas.
2: This is Max Irving from the U.S. Men's Senior National Team. And to get all things Texas water polo, I'm listening to the TX Water Polo Podcast.
0: James and Joe back with UTX Water Polo Podcast. We're talking UIL water polo. Prompted a, a really... Joe, I'm not joking. Like you said that you've gotten a bunch of emails. I haven't gotten as many as you, but I've definitely gotten them about like, what are we supposed to do? So we just addressed essentially how does that process take place where a school, a district, so on actually formally enters the UIL uh, with water polo. And now it's really, we can talk a little bit about the variety of ways that individual schools will actually implement it because there are an enormous number of variables.
1: Oh yeah, I mean and each school, each school district's going to do it differently. Even school districts with or schools within a specific school district are going to do it differently.
2: Yep.
1: And um and that's one thing I've been talking to athletic directors and yeah in yeah and coaches and such and you know, they all ask the they all ask the good question about budgets and caps and balls and goals and you know and Every school district is a little different. Yeah. We're kind of, kind of regarding transportation, you know, every school district is different as far as their facilities that are allowed. Um, like, you know, there might be a school district that has to rent pool time. There might be a school district that owns their, there might be one school for a 50 meter pool, which is on the opposite end of the park. or it might be a school district with 10 different high schools and one 50 meter pool. So do we even have time for water pool, you know? So, um, and then a, a, another thing to take into account is there might be a swim team where it's one swim coach for both boys and girls, right. high school swimming Yep. and no assistant, but there are others, that, but there's, uh, but there are a, a, a other programs that are, um, that have a head swim coach and an assistant swim coach. So more often than not, school districts are going to start with a swim coach, um, and people are going to are gonna are, are maybe gonna to try to get the swim coach to do a kind of water pole. Now, if the swim coach doesn't want to do water pole, that's fine. Then they can go hire a coach to do water pole. Now that might mean a couple different things. They they can put it out there and go, we want to hire a, a varsity head coach and they're gonna coach boys and girls, yeah, yeah, water pole. And um, and here's gonna be the uh um and here's your stipend, and we have to budget it in, and then there's another teaching position, stuff like that. Or if a team has both a head coach and assistant coach for swimming, they might go to the assistant coach and go, Hey, do you want to be the head coach for water pole assistant coach for swimming? And then that might make the head coach for swimming, the assistant coach for water pole. So they both get an extra stipend to do it. Um, And then, I mean, there's, and then there, then there might be some people that get the assistant baseball coach to come over and be the head water pole coach. You know, they coach baseball, in the spring, and then they're going to coach water polo in the fall. And you know, I've always talked about, you know, and people are like, "Well, the coach isn't going to know anything." Well, no, a good coach is going to, is going to be a, a good coach. Yeah. Okay, Um, you know, kind of, kind of, ninety percent of the coaching for for high school is going to be is going to be kind of getting the kids there and motivating them. It's not necessarily going to be all the X's and O's stuff. It's going to be getting them excited, and a good coach is going to. Figure out the X's and O stuff. Yep. The, yeah, like the drills and skills and stuff like that. A coach is going to get out there and get to YouTube and get to all the education and like and like and ask and ask coaches questions. But are there challenges? Yes, there are. There are going to be lots of challenges to implementing. That it's that this is again, it's the first time. There's going to be some challenges the first year or two, but after the first year, then you adjust and, and adapt. You then plan for year two. It, it, it and then it's a little bit better. Then after and then after year two, it becomes just second nature. This is what we do.
0: Hey, while we're talking about coaches, uh, I have also gotten contact, and not recently, but over the years, from coaches move who are moving to Texas. They're more than likely to from, be coming from California, and I, I have gotten this more than once, where a coach will say, it's almost similar to those who re- relocate to to the state regardless, is, where should I go, and which high school should I coach for, and so, I think there's a bit, uh, there's a misunderstanding, at least a little bit, among those who might be interested in coaching. What is the definitive rule for coaches with relation to their school districts? They have to be what we would call on campus. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, they have to be full time employees of the school districts in order to, to coach for a UIL team.
0: They can't be part time.
1: They're not part time. No. Got it. Okay. Okay. Now, that is different than other. That That is. Not, that's not unique to water polo. That is no. for all UIL sports activities. Okay, and um, that's and that's that's what that's a big thing that separates you know high school water polo in Texas from high school water polo out in California. Out in California, you can be a stipend coach, come yep. and make three four thousand dollars, and coach the water polo team, and then be gone, and you're only there for a couple hours a day, type of thing. Yep. So I love that. Um, so it is different, um, but that's a challenge. So, um, so whenever, again, this goes back to what we talked about in, yeah, in the segment one, you know, these schools are adding it. It's not just adding the budget for travel, the budget for suits, the the, like the budget for team entry fees, the referees and all this stuff. It's also adding a a teacher salary. Yeah. So, and that's nothing to sneeze about. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a big thing. You know, um, although we need like we can always like we never have a, 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 like 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 enough teachers like, you know, principals want teachers there to be there all day long. Yeah. Not. Yeah. And not to that's going to be there for the first period boys or 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 not to be there for the first period boys water pole. And then they teach for two classes. They have a conference period and then they go coach the girls. Yeah. Period for water pole. You right. know. So and it's it's going to be. It's going to be interesting to see how this kind of shakes out and Absolutely. how it all plays. Cause everybody has their own very different, very unique challenges. Uh,
0: I think and my larger issue is just for those who might be interested in coaching here, be prepared. If you want to coach high school, which there's a lot of demand for that, then
1: you should understand. Yeah. You have to be an employee. Yeah. You have to be a full-time employee and you're going to have to teach. Yep. Uh, More likely than not, there are going to be some schools districts where there might be an like an administration position, or yeah, or, or, or something like that. But IT. those would be few and far between. Yeah,
0: there's, I, I I barely even wanted to even think about. There are aren't there like exceptions? I don't even want to dwell on that really, because the way to do this is the right way, which is to be, be an employee of the district.
1: Yeah, I mean there, I mean there are some quote unquote exceptions, like like you know you can be kind of like like there are there yeah there's something called paras they're like kind of part-time teachers Mm -hmm. right they get paid like like an hourly rate and you can um, and you get benefits still but you know it's not like a full-time teacher or and where you get paid a salary and such right there are some school districts that allow some coaches to fall under that umbrella Mm. but not all school districts do that right that is different from school district to school district. I know I've joked uh, like uh, I've joked with people where you know you talk to ten different school districts about their COVID response, right? There were ten different ways that 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 of those ten school districts, there were ten different ways that they responded to COVID. Yeah. Right. In water polo it's gonna be ten like you talk to ten different school districts, they're 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 gonna implement water polo in ten different ways. Just like they do the same thing for soccer, volleyball or football and swimming they all operate a little different based off of what they have and what they can provide. So, and it's very, it's going to be very, very unique. And, um, but you know, um, there are, there's lots of help out there for those, for those coaches that, yeah, that are, are, that are, that are seeking the, like the education, there's also, for parents, if you have questions, please let me know. I know I'm putting together some town hall meetings that are going to be happening in January and February that are going to be hitting on on some of these topics. So a schedule of those will hopefully be out here but yeah, just before the upcoming holidays. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be – there's – there's it's very exciting. I'm very excited. And, you know, um, the teams that are, are going to play are going to have a great opportunity to play. If there are some, I mean, and I'm just happy for, for, for the kids. I'm just happy for us to get moving in that UIL direction and, you know, and just keep growing it each and every year because there have been some other states that have added water polo and they've added it. And so let's say they've had 50 schools play the first year. And then 10 years later, they only have 55 schools playing. Yeah. I know okay. what states we're talking about too. So, you know, we need to have a hundred schools playing the first year. And then have 125 the second year and then have 175 the third year and then have 200 plus the fourth year and beyond.
0: We so. have the we have the added benefit of geography in that, uh, you know, a place like Florida, which has experienced some pretty decent growth, but it did. So in And I guess it's a little bit similar to what's going on here in these sort of very large metropolis areas. So Miami, Jacksonville, um, Orlando, so on and so forth. Um, obviously, in California, it's just literally from south to the north. It's like all up and down the coast. But a place like Chicago or St. Louis, and I do mention those cities specifically, because Illinois water polo is essentially Chicago, and Missouri water polo is essentially St. Louis. They're, I, they always are making efforts to move outside, but we have a super fortunate situation partially due to you Joe which is that you keep moving from place to place and planting seeds and so we're very fortunate in that it's gone you know we have San Antonio we have Austin Houston North Texas and it's uh, even getting it bigger than that so I, I'm confident of the growth like we we are not similar to other states in that regard I would say
1: yeah I mean and I think it, we have we have people always say oh my god it's grown it's grown so much in Texas yeah we've only scratched the surface whether it's high school level or club level and stuff like that. I mean, yes, we have a lot of teams playing in Houston, a lot of teams playing in North Texas, a lot of teams playing in Austin, growing number of teams playing in, in yeah in San Antonio. There's still the Rio Grande Valley. There's still the, like the El Paso. There's still Midland. There's still Corpus Christi. There's still a ton of areas out there to grow. But th- that is also a challenge, though, too. Huge you one. can't just have like, 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 like that's a great opportunity and a blank slate out there but it's also a challenge because you can't necessarily have one high school start yeah, in Permian. Mid-Light. Yep. Okay. You have to have, um, you know, a whole school district start, you know, or two or three schools districts start all at the same time. Yep. And, um, and that's, and that's, and that's a challenge for, especially for when there isn't necessarily a history of the sport out yep. there yet. But that's a challenge, and I'm and I'm fully confident that in Abilene and uh, and Midland and uh, and in uh, Lubbock, we're all gonna we're gonna have high school water polo being played out there. Um, is it gonna be fall '22? Maybe. Is it gonna be '23, '24, and beyond? Yeah, most definitely. That's awesome.
0: Um, let's make a quick mention of booster clubs cuz I again got questions about that. So I'm I'm familiar with certain water polo booster clubs. They're going to they can, I'm not saying they will because it's completely up to the leadership of the booster club. They can have an enormous influence on the teams that's created under UIL or Tisca, it doesn't matter, right? They're transferable in a certain in a certain way.
1: to find influence.
0: Yeah, they fundraising. I mean, let's be honest, like that, that helps a ton. Like you can find sti- extra stipends for coaches or equipment or whatever that the, that the uh, well, You're not going to not- get extra
1: stipends. Like, like the booster clubs can't pay stipends once it's a UAL sport. The school districts will play, yeah, kind of, kind of will pay the stipends. And I mean, and the stipends for those that don't know, I mean, that can be anywhere between 5000 to $10,000 per season, depending on your school district for a swim coach right now. There but that, you also have to remember that swim coach goes from, you know, uh, like you know september to february yeah the water pole stipend is probably yeah going to be a, a little bit less um but yes a, a parent booster club can definitely help they help out in, yeah in football and doing a whole Swimming. bunch of stuff that the coach doesn't Absolutely. want them to do that's right yep and
0: including like so, equipment
1: yeah. purchases and stuff like that i've seen that myself exactly. exactly and i mean yeah and each school district you know there's always there's always a budget crunch right always right always and um you know they may not they may need they may need to take away from the that the the athletic budget so then that athletic director goes to the school boards and or um, no no i'm sorry the uh the like the booster clubs Mm -hmm. and say listen we don't have money for x this year so y'all need to raise money for it there you go exactly So, so let's go and that's that's the way it works and um but, no I mean I'm excited it's gonna be uh, like 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 kind of a whole lot of fun and uh, yeah it's there's still a lot of questions t- t- you got to be answered but you know and it'll and but it's gonna be it's yeah it's uh, kind of very fluid but it, we're gonna have a lot of answers here in February. Um, there might even be a school district that didn't say yes in January and then they decide to play in April or May and try to get added to the schedule and, uh, and kind of, and kind of put a schedule together. I guarantee that's going to happen too. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to say no if a school district changes their mind. God, right? no, hope not. So, um, and it's going to be, it's, it's going to be a ton of fun kind of moving forward. All right,
0: let's wrap it up. So, um, got some events coming up, but first of all, your Academy
1: is, uh, just around the corner. Texas Water Polo Coaches Academy clinics are going to be next week, December, Tuesday, December 14th at 6.30 p.m. And also Thursday, December 16th at, yeah, at 6.30 p.m. Tisca Water Polo 1 will be on Tuesday. The USA Water Polo Coaching Clinic will be on Thursday. The Tisca Water Polo 1 will be Coach Jeff Chandler from Side Creek High School in, in Houston, Texas, and he's going to go over, pr- over pressure passing, which is, to me, is just another f- – is is kind of one of the basic fundamental cores of water bowl and coach Mark Lawrence is going to from Austin college is going to be doing the USA water pole clinic and he's gonna be going over six on five and five on six. Nice. And that'll be posted at the Southwest, uh, uh, zone website at Southwest or or.com. And, uh, and yeah, just, I mean, the more, the merrier. And it's not just coaches that are welcome. Kids are welcome. Um, parents are welcome. Like the more, the merrier. Yep. So, um, Texas Premier
0: League took place this last weekend. We we mentioned the game day that you hosted in San Antonio. That's uh, one thing. But there was also an event up in North Texas that we mentioned as well that apparently went quite well. And then uh, I'm going to Cowtown, but you're not. What's up with that?
1: Um, Yeah, we just didn't get the kids that wanted to attend. So. Oh, no. I was just blaming you personally. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, nobody. I mean, it's great that it's great that kids are... It's great that teams are playing. Um, I still remember the Days back in Houston where, you know, whenever we first started year club water polo, um, we basically had our December, January season was Sunday practice or game day. That's it. So That's we it. had like six or seven Sundays. Yeah. That was our water polo club. And it was um, either a practice or a game day. Just alternate. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is we didn't want to necessarily go to. Um, we didn't want to do too much during the high school swim season and have the perceived conflicts. Now you have these larger clubs that are doing more and more and then the, and then the kind of the mid tier clubs are also doing more and more. And, you know, and I mean, these kids are doing club during the, like the high school swim season. Really. It's good for them. They're, I mean, like, you know, they wouldn't be doing swim club, so they're doing a water pole club. Yeah. And it's awesome. And yeah, in some clubs better than no club, right. During the high school swim season. And uh was it yeah, it gets a little tricky in January with the with the championship for high school swimming. Um, but that's whenever the kids just have to have to talk with the coaches and such. So but yeah, there's a ton of opportunities to play. Um so so we just we just again, I think we talked about it last week, just encourage teams, athletes, coaches, parents to get out there and play as much as you can. So exactly right.
0: Okay. We'll talk to uh to Austin Ringheim, the former assistant coach at austin college and current head coach at mit right after this
1: hey this is tony azevedo five-time olympian uh you're listening to the tx waterfall podcast
0: everyone it's austin ringheim if you don't know who he is he traitoriously left austin college a couple years ago to become the head coach at the massachusetts institute for technology my understanding is that's a pretty good school austin i don't know like it's uh is it uh, is it as good as austin
2: college though like uh <laughs> how, how are you doing austin it's good to see you yeah it's good to see you too james thanks for having me on i'm okay. doing pretty well uh you know had a good season and now i get to uh, finally take a break and catch a breath
0: good yeah that uh, i, I don't, i'm not sure people understand even i mean they. i think some people think oh division three you don't have as busy a schedule as you would let's say if you're coaching division one i'm like oh no <laughs> that is not the way it happens man it is uh it is hard work for little pay and probably not all as much appreciation as you deserve. So um, give us the breakdown of the season. You finished in uh, you made it to NC. Well, USA Water Polo sponsors the Division three championships, but you made it to the final four and you just completed the season last weekend in Southern California. Um, but man, oh, man, it's a struggle. Like you play a lot of games during the season. Your roster's not all that huge. How do things go?
2: Yeah. So overall, um, you know, obviously I've had a a few days to reflect and that's kind of the first thing uh, that you go to uh, kind of right after you finish up that last game. But, uh, you know, sitting back and thinking about it, it it was a really, um, really good, really positive season. Um, There was a ton of growth within our program. And, uh, you know, um, I feel like it's really easy for, for people to Uh, really get lost in the numerical value of a season. Um, we talked about this as a, as a staff, um, a lot, as far as, uh, you know, maybe on paper, the season didn't look as, as great as we would have hoped, but, uh, you know, coming back from, from an 18 month hiatus and, uh, having a smaller crew and really trying to rebuild the culture. And, uh, you know, I came in with, you know, I did one season and then, uh, you know, that, that was it. So for us, it was kind of really restarting and, um, really kind of bringing back the foundation of, of how we want to do things as a program. And um, I could not be more proud of, of the way that our athletes hand, handled that and treated themselves and um, really set a lasting uh, culture and, and foundation for, for teams in the future to, to really springboard off of. So um, maybe on paper it wasn't as, uh, as pretty as, it would have ho- as we would have hoped, but uh, you know, overall and all the hard work that, that went into it, it was a very, uh, very rewarding season.
0: Well, let's you. So the end of the season nine and 20 and that, you know, again, that if you're going to just judge it by the numbers, I'm sure as a coach, you'd love to flip those numbers. But listen to who you play Fordham, Wagner, uh, Hopkins several times, Air Force Brown, St. Francis, Iona, Princeton. Brown. I mean, these are all big schools you're a division three school who's playing against those guys all the time. Um, And so obviously you have to judge the season slightly different because it's not a division three season per se. Like you got to go play all those guys.
2: Yeah, definitely. So in as much stock as we put into, to those games and um, our conference games and all of that stuff, you know, as a program, we, um, we really have our mindset set on that, that new division three national championship. And I think that, Um, you know, the more that we get to attend it, the more the environment continues to grow and the greater this opportunity becomes. And I know our student athletes really appreciate, um, having something to really work for at the end of the season. In the past, it was, um, you know, they worked for Eastern's and, um, you had to compete against all those teams and at the final tournament to get through to Eastern's and, um, kind of oftentimes it was, it was like, all right, well, here's the end of season. But now we have, um, a big tournament at the end where we really feel like, uh, it's a high level, uh, situation and, and we really, you know, all four teams there really took it seriously and wanted, uh, to compete at the highest levels. So that was, uh, that was incredible. And, uh, I think it's also a beautiful part of, of what our program can offer as far as, um, you know, the sport is, is, uh, right now, traditionally geographically. And so where we sit, we get to compete at, uh, you know, really high level and get more or less a division one, uh, athletic experience while we're, uh, you know, basically a division three program and have those, you know, balance and, and kind of everything else that means that comes along with it. So.
0: Recruiting is obviously one of the biggest jo- jobs that you have. So I can only assume that the, your performance, or at least your the, the fact that you're participating in division three championships, it must come up with your recruiting process.
2: Oh yeah, definitely something that we like to highlight as far as um, really to offer a uh, you know, competitive division one experience throughout the regular season. And we get to, to compete uh, realistically for a national championship year in and year out. And, uh, you know, we have to earn it and obviously it's, uh, it's a privilege to be there, but for us as a program, we definitely don't take it lightly. And, uh, it's definitely on our radar from, uh, the first day of, uh, of fall camp that, that we want to be there at the end of the year. Yeah. I,
0: I can only, it, when the division three championships were announced, um, it's obviously very good news but it has really, it is really percolated throughout the community, and in, in that, it is a, it is an aim for Division three schools that normally, let's say, would take get that last seed in NCAA championships, and sometimes they perform well, sometimes not. But it's a Division three versus Division one, so it's very, it's been a very key recruiting tool, from my understanding. So it sounds as the same with your program.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and it also just gives. Um it leaves so many more avenues of growth available for our sport to, to really um, kind of dive in regionally and, and really kind of show um, different areas in our country that, uh, hey, you know, you have the opportunity to to add this wonderful sport and, uh, you know, you actually get to, to realistically compete uh, at a high level and, and find success within your program and, and within your school, right? Because we ultimately all want to represent uh, our institutions to the best of our ability. And uh, I think that with this division three national championship, it, it really allows um, you know, programs like ourselves and, and other high-level programs, uh, you know, at the Division three level to, to really showcase those, uh, you know, what we can do and how hard we work as well.
0: One of the last times that you and I spoke was uh, with Michael Rondazzo and coach Max from Johns Hopkins. And that now seems like an absolute lifetime ago <laughs> because the Eons. conversation was pretty dismal. It was just, there's just nothing really going on. Is there even a way to describe how maybe this season you could almost consider to be normal finally. And it was uh and how different it was from, you know, again, a year ago.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I was telling somebody, I forgot how much, uh, how much work and effort went into to an actual fall Um, between all the traveling and organizing and making sure that our athletes are um, taking care of their bodies and really, uh, putting themselves, putting our athletes in the best possible situation to be successful. Um, you know, definitely, uh, each program has their, their ebbs and flows of the, of the year. And, uh, it's about weathering those. And, um, it was, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. And it really was a reminder that, that why, why we wanted to do this in the first place and, uh, you know, fortunate to be back, right? Even though, you know, we did have that conversation, uh, you know, a year or so ago, and uh, it was pretty bleak. Um, you know, we're, we're super happy that, uh, you know, we get the opportunity to compete. We got to compete at the high level, and, uh, you know, we really didn't take any, any day for granted because it really could have changed, uh, you know, in an instant. So it your was got, an awesome experience.
0: I'm assuming your guys are pretty flexible. I mean, college-age young men are fairly flexible, but did they even have any especially your newest ones like did they did they did you ever hear them commenting i was like oh my god i'm so great to be back in the pool you know a year ago it was just a complete disaster
2: definitely in the beginning definitely in fall camp when we were when it was strictly uh water that they were able to focus on and, and just kind of being back in that environment and um, being around the boys and all of that stuff like you definitely felt that energy and that kind of buzz um on the pool deck and it was awesome because you really saw um such a huge growth right away. Um, but you also heard the other side of, Oh, I forgot how much this is, right? I forgot, <laughs> forgot how, uh, how long these, these days can get. So it's been good, but, uh, no, it was really awesome to see, uh, you know, because with, with that coming in, you know, we had two classes that, uh, really had never played, uh, a collegiate season before. Right. And so we, we really had, you know, put it upon our seniors and, um, our upperclassmen to, to really kind of, uh, show kind of like what it means to be a high level athlete and how to take care of your bodies and, and prehab and rehab and, uh, you know, making sure that you're eating well and getting enough sleep and balancing everything. So it was, um, it was awesome to just kind of see all of that come right back into place. Um, even though that they had, uh, you know, so many months away from each other, uh, physically.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. So you, uh, we, our paths did not cross, but you were in Texas last summer for junior Olympics. There's uh, going to be another, Session three this coming summer in North Texas again. Um, I'm assuming that you're going to make it down here. I'm I'm asking out of curiosity because um, what you were able to see last summer were essentially teams from not California, but I'm curious about is your focus or it, it, or basically you have these Texas connections now. Um, are are you now looking for those kinds of athletes? Are you looking for? Te- Texans in particular or it doesn't matter where they come from
2: uh, a little bit of both. I definitely want to make sure that, that we give, give our Texans the opportunity uh, that they deserve. And obviously me being down there and having a, uh, you know, hands-on experience and, and kind of firsthand look at, at the development and kind of what the talent is down there. We definitely uh, we want to make sure that, that we continue to, to, give those athletes that, that have, are at that academic and athletic level the opportunity to potentially be a part of our, our community. And so that's definitely um, a goal of ours, but at the same time, um, we want to give all of our athletes in, throughout the country um, an opportunity. And I think part of um, you know where we are as a program and, and ultimately the recruiting side of things with admissions and everything, um, with some of our challenges and, and factors, we can't, uh, we unfortunately don't have the, the luxury of bringing in eight kids from Southern California um, we really want to make sure that we, we have a diverse group throughout the country and um, we really want to try to find a couple kids in the Pacific Northwest, a couple kids in the Southeast, the Southwest, California, the Northeast, right? The Northeast is obviously a big one for us. We really want to make sure that uh, we get firsthand experience down at Chelsea Piers, Greenwich, uh, all of that area. So um, we definitely take advantage of uh, our location and um, ultimately the uh, you know, academic experience that we get to offer you know, as a program and it ultimately doesn't really matter where you are, where you're from, and as long as you can, uh, you know, you're at that academic standard, and and you can compete at a high level, and you want to compete at a high level, we can we can do the rest.
0: Is there any sense amongst uh, coaches about how important this upcoming high school season is going to be in Texas, and that, meaning that? I mean, you and I are both uh, native Californians, and so CIF really rules the world when it comes to high school water polo. Mm -hmm. And now it's official in the state of Texas. Is that something that resonates with coaches at all? Or does it really not matter? Because the club season here, and people don't really understand that in some ways, that this has been a club sport since the mid '70s, early '70s, but it's been run in such a way that it does, you know, present athletes in a way that they can go play in college. But is is UIL making the rounds uh, among coaches at all?
2: Oh, definitely, absolutely. I think it, um, I think it definitely elevates the the level of seriousness that that is the state of Texas and kind of what they can offer. Um, you know, as a sport. And I think that it's, it's a really unique experience. And I think that you'll see it more uh, on the ground level, right, as far as the school spirit and kind of the, the resources that will be available um, to the athletes um, now that it is a UIL sport. And I think that um, by strengthening that, it'll only strengthen it, the, you know, the, vision, the vision and um, the scope of, of the coaches at our level
0: great stuff um what's uh what's next like you you're you're i think you and i talked about it a little bit off air but i mean it's off, it's quote off season for you but that does not mean much of anything does it so what goes on for you from now until the next season
2: yeah so first and foremost uh recruiting 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 uh, Right. so i've get heard on, yeah <laughs> try to get on on as many pool decks as i as i can you know i'll definitely take uh take the next few weeks, uh, to recover and, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll spend some time with my family during the, the holiday season. And then, uh, you know, once we get back in January, we'll, uh, we'll try to be pretty much, uh, all over the country and trying to be in as many pool decks as we can. And then, uh, for me too, part of my, uh, contract is I actually teach in our physical education and wellness department. So we will, uh, I'll teach a few classes throughout the, uh, the winter and spring, which will be, uh, a nice balance to, to keep me engaged in the, the community. And, uh, you know, also building the program by, by being out and about.
0: What do people not understand about student athletes that go to MIT? Because obviously there's, it's, I mean, if you have to be told that it's one of the premier institutions in the U S it's that, you know, you're not really paying attention, I would guess. But, um, what is it about, the athletes that are so super dedicated to going there and then also the fact that they are spending a, a good proportion of their time, um, playing sports. What, what would you, what are people surprised to hear about that, uh, experience, uh, that they might not other, see at other schools?
2: Yeah. I mean the, the, the kind of three staples that I really, um, kind of see that are, are more or less intangibles in our athletes are, um, really, really passion, discipline, and, um, you know, work ethic. They, they, they really want to um, to compete at a high level, and they want to compete at a high level in everything that they do. Um, and so, it's really awesome to see them to get exposed to so many different avenues um, in our community. And I think that um, something that's unique to uh, you know an MIT student is is how much they actually do. So they're um, you know just. Aside from the, uh, you know, the traditional academics and the athletic experience, uh, majority, if not all of my kids are part of our Europe program, which is our undergraduate research opportunity program. And um, that allows our athletes to or our students in general to um, get their hands on experience in some labs on campus and work with some postdocs or some current uh, professors and really kind of get, um, you know, some of that uh, you know research experience that they're looking for and ultimately, you know, leading them on to the next level. And then, uh, from, you know, aside from that, they're all, uh, they're all in, in a fr- they're all in fraternities. Greek life is, is big on campus here and we have a kind of an academic water polo centric fraternity and they all live together. And, uh, that's something that, that when I bring up a lot of, uh, a lot of people, uh, didn't really know, but they, uh, you know, they have a really good balance between the academics, athletics, um, and social side of things.
0: Does everybody live on campus?
2: uh their first year they'll dorm um and then for as far as the house the house is on uh the boston side so it's across the river um on beacon street so they'll um it's technically through on campus living but it's uh it's off campus and it's uh it's it's on the Boston side. So they're uh, they're a little spoiled getting to go up, you know, a half a mile from Fenway Park and a half a mile from the Commons and all that stuff. I'm yeah. jealous.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah, you did. But that, that was a very nice little recruiting tidbit there is that they that, you know, there's the capacity to go to this house that's across the river and you're enjoying yourself in Boston. You're a Southern California guy. It's a very different environment back there
2: yeah yeah i'm loving it so far i think the experience that that i get to have here as you know working through campus or through working through tech is is incredible and then uh you know everything that that brings to the city like i've uh like you said i've i've been uh california and then i did a pit stop in dallas but uh i would say this is the first kind of real city that i've been in and uh it's been a great transition so far i haven't had too uh too much hard hard times during winter but uh i'm sure we'll uh We'll hit those days in a few uh, few weeks here.
0: Yeah, but you sold your car. That's a true sign. You've uh, <laughs> you have drank the Kool Aid, the East Coast Kool Aid. Yep.
2: Yeah, definitely taking public transportation everywhere. <laughs> uh, i sorry to hear that. New, <laughs> walking became my new uh, mode of transportation. That was that was always fun. I I always remembered like. Oh, well, you know, in California, like, it's only a couple blocks away. I'd be like, ah, we can just drive. <laughs> you know. uh, here, it's like, you know, it's a mile away. Like, all right, let's just start walking. Like, it's fine. You know, we'll get there. Um, so it's it's been a really awesome transition. And, uh, yeah, I definitely bought, in, bought into the city life.
0: Yeah. Austin, it's been great to speak with you. I appreciate your time very much. Good luck uh, as the uh, next season starts to approach. And I hope to cross paths in Dallas, in a, if not sooner, uh, next summer.
2: Yeah, thanks, James. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, I think that's it, Joe. Anything else that we're missing?
1: Ah, it's all good. So good luck this weekend, James.
0: Hey, thanks. I, I wish you were going to be there, but you have other priorities as well. So that's a, that's a big deal to me. But uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend about the TX Water Polo Podcast and about the Total Water Polo Podcast. I think there's going to be some um, stuff coming up with that um, that podcast as well if you want to support us go to txwaterpolo.com forward slash give we thank those of you who've done so so far and with that until next week so long from Austin
1: has been a production of TWP Sports LLC.